Welcome to today's episode of the Color of Money podcast. Now, our guest today is a special person in the real estate community and specifically for powerful women in the entire real estate industry, Ms. Kimber Minkiti. Now, Kimber is the co-owner and president of the Keller Williams Capital Properties, a brokerage of nine offices across D.C., Maryland, and the Virginia region. She's also the regional director of Keller Williams for the Maryland, D.C. region, where she oversees over 4,500 agents. As one of the best and brightest minds in the real estate business in the greater Washington and D.C. region, Kimber was recognized by the Washington Business Journal as a 40 under 40 honoree and a 2021-2022 real estate newsmaker by Riz Media. Welcome, Kimber. We're so excited to see Wait you. Wait a minute. Now, you know I got to pump my girl up. That's, I feel yeah. like we got we to gotta tell more than that. Also, I, feel like I was like, that was amazing. Thank you. No, no, no but, but wait, there's more. Also, by the way, Kimber was, which is a big deal, I think, you know, you were the president of the DC Association of Realtors, um, and you are the current broker liaison to the National Association of Realtors, which means that you are the li- liaison to all brokers who are in the National Association of Realtors, which is a big role. That's a big deal. It's and been a big fun role. Yeah. It's a big fun role. And um, the president of, uh, why are you still the the sales president of the McKeady Group? Yep. And anybody in the D.C., Maryland area knows the McKeady Group is huge. It's uh, uh, and is featured in all kinds of things. You all do over one billion in residential real estate. So you got to you got to pump my girl up. She's a big deal. Uh-uh, it's even more than that. She is on the board of directors of Bright MLS, one of the largest MLS systems in the country. We have over 45,000 members in Bright MLS, and she sits on the board of directors there. And more notably, she's my regional director. Ta-da! <laughs> But wait, there's more. She's the board chair for CPMG Foundation and a board member of Crichton Services and Step Africa. She's also appointed by the mayor of Washington, D.C. to serve on the District of Columbia Arts Commission. And we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that, Kimber, so we don't embarrass you. Thank you. And a proud mom of four amazing boys who uh, part, keep, me, yes. keep me very, very, very busy. Uh, my biggest asset and greatest opportunity. <laughs> well, how do you juggle? How do you juggle all of that? I mean, we just had like three different intros for you, and <laughs> you do all of them very, very, very well. Like, how how do you handle all that? How do you juggle all that? I, well, I, I think embracing this idea that like balance is a lie, which is one of my uh, themes in life right now. Like, I just you don't embrace. You know, like it doesn't. It, not all things matter equally. So sometimes things get out of balance, and and I, you have to focus in different areas. Um, and one part for me is also learning to really say no to say yes, right? So I've had to say no um, and to just maybe even no, maybe not even necessarily no, but let me say yes for somebody else. So a no for me can mean a yes for somebody on the team in the broader world, another opportunity. And so really trying to think about it from a bigger perspective that um, it's not always, it's, it's definitely all of those things. I'm part of a bigger ecosystem. And so that's what makes it all possible. Yeah, I love that. In today's conversation, we're going to be talking about the five, like crafting and developing um, your your wealth crew, like your wealth team. So when we think about that, Kimber, what does that what does that mean to you? What is as you, as you've grown and as you've um, evolved in this industry, how is your wealth team? Who 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 makes up your wealth team 
Um, and then what, is that, what, what does that look like for you and how has it grown over the years? Yeah, I love that. I love thinking about that, like this sort of this board of directors for your life, for your wealth, for different areas that are important to you to develop. You know, I think one of the principles that has been really was a big eye opener for me is sort of your network is your net worth, right? Like who you surround yourself with matters. That, that five, we say five, but it's five in the different circles of your life. So if that means you want to go on a health journey, if it means you want to go on a wealth journey, if it, whatever that looks like, really looking at, look up, because you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with in any one of those areas. So that was a big aha for me, right? Was I in conversation, in relationship, actually like right dialing into people that were going to help push me on that journey? I'm naturally just much more, particularly financially, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a conservative, right? Like I like, to, I like to look at the money in the bank, right? And so my life partner was not that, that way, right? Both was like, I don't need to be in the bank. Like those, let's, we can spend it and we'll multiply it and it makes it bigger. And so that balance of, of being able to know, hey, okay, what, what kind of, how could I get more comfortable with risk? How could I, for me, that was also about how do you assemble a team of people who could be good advisors for you? So that was a lot. But I think one is like, who are the, who, look up, right? Ask yourself, who am I spending time with? Because my net worth is going to be, is going to look like that, right? It's the average of that. So that might mean you need to, to find some different rooms to get in in that area of your life. doesn't mean that you have to eliminate everybody that you hang out with, but you need to get really purposeful, intentional on the wealth journey that you're getting in rooms that are going to help expand your thinking, your level of comfort with some of those conversations. So that was number one, was really thinking about being much more intentional about some of the relationships and rooms I was in to expand that conversation. Yeah. I think that as you as you've grown and as you as you've learned this and and continue to look up, now that you're at the top, what's up now? If you're oh. are you still looking up, like what's the next level of that growth for you at this point look like then? Yeah, I think we're always looking up, right? Like I think we don't actually sometimes spend enough time looking back at, at how far we've come. Like sometimes we're just constantly that sort of gap and gain. You see a lot of right people talk about we're always striving for feeling like that there's a gap. Where do we want to be? Where do you want to go next? Where do you want to go next? And I think in your wealth building journey, sometimes the ability to actually look at where you've come from and how far you've grown in the wealth building journey and hit some of those targets is really powerful. Sometimes we, we like, especially this current season, right? Things are, business is down, right? Like our revenues are down, like things that are, have traditionally, we just been comfortable with 10, 20, 30% gains. And now all of a sudden you're, and so that can be a lot, but if you actually spend time and make sure that you're actually also reflecting on how far you've come and what got you there that you want to actually either continue to add to or expand. So yes, I think you constantly have to be looking forward and thinking, okay, who else should I be having conversations with um, to really continue to move up the mountain, but have that perspective of where are you and how far, how far you've come to get there. Well, I was going to ask, when you talk about the people around you and you're talking about surrounding yourself with the right people, um, you're one of the leaders of the organization called Her Best Life. Uh, and, and it's comprised of eight women leaders, you being one of them, right? And um, it says here the combined net worth of over $150 million. You collectively lead 6,000 people and 60 companies representing over $10 billion in revenue. How do organizations or groups, joining groups like that, contribute to, like, the people around you? Yeah, that, that is a transformational um, group of women in my life, right? That started as just a mastermind group, right? Really, all of us um, were in Keller Williams. We were in Gary's top agent group. We looked up, and, and you, we saw a lot of... Um, a lot of our like male counterparts in those rooms were, were spending time together outside of it. They were um, 
intentionally or unintentionally, like they were kind of helping build each other's businesses. And, and we didn't see uh, a corresponding group of women doing that. And so that really started as a business group, like, hey, let's get together. We literally put our org charts up. We would talk about where we're going. Uh, and then it evolved into more of like a wealth building conversation and what were we doing to build wealth and how are we thinking about it and what were what was important to us. And then that that continued on to like, hey, we have these big businesses, but are we really building big lives? And what do you want your life to look like? And so it, it was very purposeful. Like that group got together before her best life, right? And we were getting together, you know, two to four times a year um, to really just focus on both business, wealth, and life. And then that spun out into how can we take this more broader? Because we found that it was so transformational to us that we knew more women needed it. And so that started um, today. That looks like an annual conference. Actually, it's coming up in September in, um, in Phoenix, or excuse me, in Nashville. And that really is getting, we sort of said, hey, how can we create more circles like this for more women? Because we saw how impactful it was for each of us. And, and really, our, our, each of our networks, right, has grown exponentially because we've one, you have your, you actually are tracking it, right? All of a sudden, we had to come into those sessions with our net worth trackers, and we were saying, okay, this is where my net worth is, and here's where I want my net worth to be. Just tracking it is a powerful way to move it forward. Uh, setting a wealth building group. So say you you look up and you're like, okay, one, I could get somewhere like that, go to to an event like that where I can get focused and intentional with a group of people to help me focus on not just wealth, but also like all the things that tie to wealth, right? That what we what we want to be wealthy for. But then I think also you could do it in your local area. Like if you're in a sales business, like could you start like a wealth club where you guys literally just start tracking your net worth, reading books about wealth building, having that conversation, just bringing it more central into your life. When you think about building your wealth crew, like it's, you can build it with the people right around you. Yeah. And did you have, um, did you start this journey before you were a top producer or was this getting into Gary's room and being that top producing leader and having a, a business that was growing like that, that then made the step for you to say, okay, well, now I got to go start paying more attention to taxes and financial advising and have a strategist and kind of start playing that game. Yeah. I mean, we were doing a lot of it before we got in that room. And I think part of it, you know, both for, um, Bo and I both started in the nonprofit world. And so I think one of the core elements that I think is probably one of our foundational principles for our wealth building, but also, you know, as we continue to teach it, we kept our salaries at the same level. So when we can't, when I was, he was in the nonprofit space transitioning to real estate. When I joined him in 2007, we just helped, we just paid ourselves that same amount, right? Literally, like we knew we could live on those, that, that cap, which was, you know, I don't know, it was like 120,000 a year combined. Um, and, and so we just kept it there and we kept it there for like seven years, which is sounds great. Like as the business was growing exponentially, but it really separated what we were, what the lifestyle we were creating yeah. separate from the business. And that meant we were able to very quickly, um, right, gradually and suddenly, right, double down on investments. We were able to add people to the business because we had the, the business was generating income that was separate from what we were then increasing your lifestyle. And I think one of the biggest mistakes, certainly in the residential real estate industry people make is, in, and people are living it, the pain of it right now, is you adjust that lifestyle to the additional income in a given year. And you don't separate it and make the business behave like a business. And I think very early on, uh, maybe almost accidentally, right? Like I think we were like, okay, we know we can live on this and then let's just focus on building the business. And some of that, because we wanted to build, we were very both team oriented coming out of a nonprofit world and really wanting to have people, like right, wanting to connect with other people and not feel like we had to, to juggle all the things. But that meant you needed resources to be able to do that. And then, you know, coming in and that like, was, it looked like very early on buying a single family property and renovating it and rehabbing it. So we were running that, that 
parallel track of like development. I don't even know at the time that we even knew that that was so intentionally wealth building, right? We, we started Keller Williams. We opened the Keller Williams franchise in DC when we were 26 and 28. And so I don't think we were intentionally like, oh, we're building this big, massive wealth empire, right? Um, we really were, impact was one of our big drivers. We wanted to impact communities in DC and, and make that change. And, and you look up and you're like, okay, how do you do that? Well, you need resources. You need the wealth is helping you create the impact to the businesses, to the lives, to the communities that you want to serve. So here, here's a question, and because I was there at the beginning, you were you gotta, there, and we incubated. Uh, you're exactly, market center. <laughs> exactly. And uh, who had the crystal ball? Yeah. So in that place, right when we when we talk about, you know, that wasn't your initial conversation. What people were required in order to make that transition from just being a market center owner, owning an office to owning a conglomerate. I'm going to call it a conglomerate because that's what it really is. What what people were required in that space? Who What were the key people that you guys had to put in place for that to happen? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think you have in the business world, like, right, I think having um, both people who are beside you, right, as you're growing it, like in terms of people buying into the, the vision, the vision was to create a bigger impact, right, to impact for us in the beginning, right, DC, and even even more niched into that, into like our local neighborhood, right, the area that we were serving. So there was the community aspect of that, right, like being engaged from the city aspect and in terms of what the city was doing from a development perspective and what impacts we're having. So that was one aspect of it. I think as we were building the real estate business, both people like you, Emmerich, right, peers who were, who were doing it and building out brokerage in that level, but then also development. I think about some of the catalytic relationships for us started to be in the development space, which really, right, you think about residential sales as a cash flow business. And for like our secret sauce was taking this residential, which started as our sales team and then and morphed into brokerage and that ability to generate cash and then put it into development and longer term assets that really generate wealth, right? So those things came together. And what that looked like was a lot of the development partners we saw, like they were actually becoming like fee-based developer, like their biggest challenge was the cash to do these deals that they were creating, right? And we then had this machine that was generating cash. And, and so how you put those together and it became this kind of beautiful opportunity for wealth building and being able to play in both of those spaces as Bo went deeper into the development world and I went deeper into the brokerage world and the sales world, you looked up and you were like, hey, this is actually, if you do it well, you know, these things can come together really nicely. And then you start to look at brokerage, right? Like you buy the buildings where you're going to office in and that creates more financing options, which creates more opportunities for wealth. And then you're refinancing and continuing to build. So it just started to compound uh, really quickly when you look up and now 17 years later, like, you know, it, it, it started as both of us being part-time agents. It started as both of us coming out of the nonprofit world. It started with leveraging the first house to, to start the business. Right. It looked like the cash from the sales business is what funded the first market center. Like it wasn't this people you look at it today and you're like, oh, that but if you chunk it down, like it there wasn't like this big genius or certainly not like a, a parent ready to write a check to start it. It was like, OK, what do we have? We bought we had one house. We took a home equity line out on that house to have the vision for the business. We got into the sales business, which I think people run from, and it, it honestly is like our best. It's the best thing. It literally, if you, you track back everything in our world, it went back to having a highly successful, profitable sales business. Yeah. I, I love like that, that funded that everything. 
I love that you say that because Daniel and I recently had a conversation. We were talking about um, uh, market center ownership, and we had a panel last week actually with three ladies who were new owners and investors. And I, 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 I made a comment because Gary says it all the time: the best role in this organization is a mega team and having you know a sales team. And people sometimes get distracted by titles or flashy things, and and don't recognize that really having a sales business is the best role, and it's a best and it's the best revenue generator for all the other things you might want to do yeah and what we did was like I think so many times and this is one of the areas I'm most passionate about when I coach and train our agents is you you get a good deal you see an amazing deal and what does an agent do they're so excited to like call the investor and the big win for us is you get to like uh, relist it when he sells it again so maybe you got both sides of the commission and you get the listing when he brings it back so he walks away with a couple hundred thousand dollars and you walk away with two commissions. Mm-hmm. Like something about that didn't make sense. Right. And for me, it was like, well, wait a minute. Like, how can you get how can you get into that part? Like, follow the money. Like, what was a real catalytic piece? We worked all year to make that. And that person made it in one transaction. So once you started to see that, you were like, OK, well, wait a minute. We're at the front end of that. You're at the front end legally. Right. You're at the front end of somebody saying, like, you can see the acquisition opportunity and the money is made on the acquisition. Like the money is made going into the deal. And if you're at the front end of that and neighborhood boots on the ground, you know, the neighborhood, you know, the market, you know, the demand, you know, when there's something that's a great deal and an opportunity, like getting yourself into the flow of that is really, I think, where the transformation happens. And that, I think literally all originates out of our sales businesses. Well, I think what you're, what I'm hearing through this though, I, I, let's, let's go, let's go back. You started the way that we typically teach our, our consumers to do it. You buy your first house, you leverage that first house, you take a line of credit, you go buy the next one, you turn it into a rental, and you keep playing this game that then continues to build up over time. And so it, it's a simple concept at first, that then continues to snowball over time as long as we keep playing the same type of game, right? That's right. And, and I think I get back to um, remargin your life or don't overmargin your life. So that works when you don't take out the equity line and buy the boat or the country club membership or the thing, which it's hard, right? Like, I like nice, like, Julia, we like nice things. Like, I like those things too. You just missed it. We were having a whole conversation before you got on about all the little bougie, nice things we like. (laughs) I know. And I mean, come on, color of money. Like one of, I mean, our, like as a black community, like we fund these big brands more than anybody else. Like, right. We love them. We wear them. Like our well, we are wearing our wealth. And so that part, like, like not, not to say that I don't love my Gucci bag because I do, but like, I didn't get it until five years into the business, right? Because we were just like putting it and then it became like a really big reward, not something I bought after every closing, right? It was like, okay, when we sold out our first 21 unit condo, like building that, I knew I was buying, like I said to Bo, when that last deal closes, I'm buying my bag. Like I knew it, right? And so it was a big reward for something that was something. And then now I'm like, we put those on our net worth statement, right? Like my bag. I'm like, it's art. It's like art. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And, and, you know, that, and that whole idea when you say your wealth squad, one, one of the things that we don't do sometimes is we don't have those people in our life to help guide us for our misguided thinking. We buy the bag. Um, we don't buy the property. We sell it to them. We give it to the investor because we don't have that wealth squad to tell us don't buy the bag. We don't have the wealth squad to tell us you should be buying what you're selling. You, know, you, you find the deal yourself. And so when you start talking about your wealth squad, 
those are the people who you absolutely have to incorporate into your life. And many times we don't because yep. we're so busy in, in the day to day of this business. I think that's a huge point, Emmerich. Like one of uh, back to that her best life group. Like one of the things is we started to track it. One of um, one of the women in the group, she was like, "I feel poor. Like I'm my net worth is going up, but I feel like I have less money." And it's because right, she was aware of the expense, and and like we weren't then celebrating. We were celebrating when she bought another property, not when she bought right right another pair of shoes. And so I think you do have to look at that and think about some like be aware of like. Not everything that looks like wealth is wealth. And so we celebrate a lot of times what looks flashy or what looks nice. But when you start to scratch the surface, um, it's not. And so I think being able to really understand that and, like, ask people, like, how are they financing? What are they doing? Like, I think those are really critical components as as you're building that squad. Really, what's the real, like, what's their wealth goals? What are their wealth plans? Uh, and not just the transactional part of it, right? The the what what kind of stuff do they have? But how does how does it actually show up uh, in terms of assets? Yeah, and that's interesting. Yeah, your squad, and when you're building that wealth squad, they have to be trusted, valued allies who actually know what they're talking about. Because I was talking to someone probably about a month ago, and they were making an attempt to convince me that a bag was an investment. <laughs> Birkin can be. That's what we were talking. We were talking about that. The, yeah, the girl that was telling me that the Birkin was um, an investment. I, I'm not sold yet. I'm just like, okay, no, no, well, those, those, whatever. The used but, ones of those are still ridiculously expensive. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not arguing it's not. It would be my first investment, right? right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but you know, like, yeah, like if you are going to keep it up, and that, like they they do resell very well. But it's probably it's not the same return you're going to get on a house. So, yeah. right, and, and just think about the leveraging of money. So, like, yes, that's, you can do that. But you're going to spend out of your pocket the full amount for that versus, like, when you buy a house and you only put 20% down and now you get the asset that's appreciating at 100% of the value or more, right? So I think it's just balancing it out. And so, you know, one of the things Gary's always talking about is, like, he buys his, his nice-to-haves with the, like, with the return on his sound investments. So buy your rental property, and when your rental property is now cash flowing, buy your Birkin with your cash flow from your rental property, yeah. right? Because now you're buying it off of the other the, – that. so just thinking about it differently, how you're using your cash versus how you're using, like, the equity or that you're building in something in another asset. And oftentimes we're always thinking about an or conversation. I can get the, the house or the bag, and Gary has been, been really instrumental in my life on, on helping understand that and. How do we go get yep. the asset and then go do the other thing and be a little bit of pa- be a little bit be a little patient in the process and understand well if we make a sound decision today we can go blow a little bit of money and have some of the fun a little bit later in life. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so how are we making sure that we're um, we're adjusting for that, sorry, y'all? Yeah. And so like and we talked about all these things. This we all going to make miscues, missteps along the way. What what are maybe one or two missteps or mistakes that in this in this wealth journey that you've made and you've seen happen that you wish you could just take back? Um, I think everybody drives around and looks at stuff that they were like, damn, I should have bought that, right? Like I should I should have could have. Like if I bought that, that, I had this opportunity it was right in front of me. So I definitely think um, taking some of those risks, especially when they are on assets that that you know you know, right? That you that 
like taking that piece. I think that's one is like, you can't go back and replay that, but I definitely look at stuff differently now. I think understanding the acquisition piece, um, I think sometimes people run out of the sales business as quickly as possible, whether that's into leadership or development, or you're trying to get to the next thing and really like continuing to craft. And like, that is really some of our best assets literally were birthed out of our sales team in terms of like the boots on the ground to see it. And so I would, even today, like I spend time in my sales business. I think about how they are continuing to like own the database and like build the relationships. We have a strong geographic farm. And so there's opportunities that still come out of that. So I just, I think not don't, sometimes we think of a pillar and then it's almost like you graduate out of that pillar and you don't want to graduate out of it. You want it to still be a leg on the chair and you're just building the next leg. But this leg has to still be really strong. And I think that that is um, definitely an opportunity that I would continue. But now I know, and so I'm going back and trying to make sure all the legs are strong, but I would have done that more at the beginning. And then I think your team, making sure you're really investing in uh, your wealth squad. We talked about some of the relationships, but also be really intentional. Like I realized like in, in everything, if you, if something's going on in your body, you go to a specialist. You don't try, I mean, I, I sometimes Google it, but I'll, when, when I need to, I, I should go to a specialist that knows that in the wealth building game, especially around tax, around like financing, there are people that that is what they do. So they get them and get, get the best team, go find the person that is like working with the other, uh, right. People that are entrepreneurs in your area and helping them secure financing like you want to make go build your team with people who know what they're doing because that was when, another big one when you're saying your team like i'm thinking of this when you're all saying build your well squad and you've been talking a lot about really your squad being like your your people your salespeople. but in my mind when i'm when i say squad i'm thinking okay an accountant uh financial advisor uh you know um oh whoever like what other people and any any of you daniel emrick y'all could answer too like that's what I'm thinking. Is that is that am I off course or off base of thinking about like the people that I need to make sure I always talk to? Like after this, I got a meeting with my financial advisor and my tax accountant messaged me yesterday. And then who else? Who else should I have? An attorney. Right. Well, it's the combination. <laughs> it's the combination. A lender. It's, a lender. OK. Yeah. Yeah. I think that banking relationship is so important because if you can get unique lines of credit to be able to go do some of the additional things, that is what can really replicate or duplicate and and triple the amount of returns you can get because you don't always have to use your own money. Mm-hmm. If you can be creative on how we can get some of these non-traditional lines by having a really good banking relationship with somebody local, it's very different than going into Wells Fargo and asking for a million dollar line of credit to right. flips and things like that. So, okay. So I'm here. And so we know we need a tax accountant. We need a financial advisor. We need an attorney. We need a lender. I use realtors. Yeah, I'm not use. I know we're all realtors, but I, if it's not in my local area, I use somebody who's an expert in the local area. Well, I think what what, what Kimber was saying that was so powerful too about using your retail business or using your sales as a solo agent or a team. Um, that was a huge aha for me. Looking at that's my cash flow business. Mm-hmm. That's not that's my cash flow business. Let's let's simplify everything. Get the cash flow from it. But having really good bookkeepers and mm-hmm. and understanding where what money's coming in, what money's going out. How do we create the amount of returns that we need to create a profitable business rather than living closing by closing, which so many of these so many of these agents and, and investors that I know even live their lives by? For sure. Who are we missing? We named a bunch of different types of people that should be in the well squad. Well, and I would even say, Julia, like start with one. 
Like, so, yeah. so if you're like, if you're overwhelmed by that and you're like, I don't have any of those people on my team, like who do you, in that list, do you have one person in your world? Do you have a, a good, a strong financial planner, a strong tax person? Because if you have a really strong person there, they know the other people and yeah. right. Like they're going to help you build it. So don't feel overwhelmed. If you're, if you're hearing this, like, Oh, I don't have anybody on that list. Great. Okay. Go find one of them. Go find your local like right person and talk to them, interview them. Don't just take the first person. Who else are they serving? What's the average net worth of their clients? What kind of deals? What's the last deal they did? So that you're really building it with the best person for you. And then you're able to, to really help. They can help you build out the rest of your team. Yeah. And I think the one of the most powerful things for me is actually having a tax strategist different than a CPA who's going to do your taxes. Because your, your tax liability is arguably the biggest expense you're going to have every single year. And so if you don't have a strategy and a plan around that, then you're, you're, kind, of, you're kind of doing it wrong. We're creating all this cash flow and doing the stuff and then having it leave out the back door to go, you know, wherever, wherever the hell it goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what's great about that, Daniel, or, or not great, right, is for those of us that are like, okay, I'm, I'm, tra- I'm like um, – all my expenses. It looks like I'm not actually making a lot of money. Then all of a sudden you start making money and then it's like, oh shoot. Like, right. Like now you all of a sudden, what felt feels like a far away problem becomes like a very real problem. And like that will take up for, especially in the agent community, like that takes us out, right? The first time you feel like you did really well, but you didn't budget for the expense of taxes or quarterly tax payments. And so now you did, which is, we did this, right? We had a big year. It was amazing. We reinvested all that money because we hadn't, right? Like we were, we were deducting everything. So the prior years, we, the business wasn't really showing up as making, there wasn't a lot of a huge tax liability. And then all of a sudden it was the year we actually launched KW, right? We invested it all back into KW. And then we looked up and there was no, like, we, where was the cash? Well, we had, we had invested the cash because that's what you're supposed to do. But we didn't have any money to pay the taxes, right? And then we had a problem. So just like I think being you want to see out, not just the problem of opportunity of today, but see out for where you want to be and get the team that can build you to there. Yeah. And and that's that's what's that's that's what makes the wealth squad so critical because they help you find the gaps in your life that you can't see because it's hard to see the picture when you're in the picture. Yep. Well, and they're, and they're living this already. So it's our first time going through it. And these are people that see it. They've seen it for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. So you only know what you know. You only know what's around the corner that you walk walk around. But when you're dealing with people who, um, to Kimber's point, when you look up and see these people that are managing portfolios of billions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars, that strategy completely changes the conversation coming from somebody like me that's you know, grow up with a single mom of three kids and never had money my entire life. I don't have to make all the wrong mistakes, all the same mistakes a lot of other people did. If we just get in business with the get in business and understand the right people that we're that we're leaning on and learning from. So when we talked about the people, but what about the technology? How do we leverage technology and on this whole conversation about about wealth tools and digital tools? What kind of technology are we using in this whole personal wealth team? Like programs or anything, is there anything that technology? I'm not really using. I mean, I, I, sure, I'm leaning on some of my like our wealth management people that are using technology, which just lets you sort of see everything in a better way. Like, right, I'm tr- able to track net worth through some of like we have a relationship with Northwestern Mutual, so we we're able to use those the tools that some of the tools that they have. I would even say, Emmerich, some of it is that like this, right? If you like Daniel was saying, like maybe you don't know, like don't be afraid to ask somebody, especially right now, because people you'll be surprised who will jump on a phone call, a Zoom call. Like that seems 
trivial, but to leverage the technology of access to get in, to get into relationship with somebody. And I think you you always could have something that someone needs. Like I say this all the time when people are saying, um, right back to acquisition and property, like find out what you might have that somebody needs who's building out your team that you want to learn from and use technology, use this, this, use social, like use, connect with them. Uh, because I'm, I find that like I have, com- I'm always willing to have conversations. I know the three of you are as well. And that I think is how we, like one of my life mantras is lift as you climb. And so I think we have to ask for that and know how to ask for help, but also like, don't be afraid to get, you know, maybe you can't get on an airplane today, but you can get on a Zoom call today and have a conversation with somebody. Yeah, I'm a spreadsheet dude. Yeah. (laughs) None sexy, just like spreadsheets and calculations and auto sums and all that other fun stuff helps you see more clear. Now I'm gonna go a little bit different direction with this, Kimber. I think that one of the one of the things we want to talk about here is the successes and the joys and, and sharing information. But being being a young black woman in this industry, what are some of the challenges that you experience for some of our listeners that may feel some of these things or, or, or have some of the challenge and not be around strong people around them. What are some of the challenges you faced as a black woman in this industry as you're growing up and, and building this wealth? Oh man, there's a lot of them, right? I mean, well, one, like Julia, there's just not a lot of us. <laughs> not a lot of us. I mean, it's scary when you think about it. You look at the marketing, you, whose picture do you see? You see me and Kimber, Kimber and me. Me and Julia, <laughs> me and Julia. Like, and maybe, oh, like it's in there every once in a um, and that's and, not because there's not other black women out there doing amazing things yeah. at all. So I think um, one of the challenges was that was like, I didn't want to step into a regional director role. Like it just, I, I had, my mom had, I had just lost my mom um, and we had a business, we had three boys. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't on my growth plan. And so one, I think being tapped by other people who saw that in me as an opportunity but I think what I also looked up and saw was nobody in that room looked like me. Nobody was in, like very few, if any, were in my age demographic. There were no black women in that, had ever been in that room. And there were very few women at all in that room. And so one of the things that both was a beautiful opportunity, but also, you know, like it, like pressure too, was feeling like I'm going to, I need to push through the ceiling because I, it was like, for me, one of the things people ask me, like what I'm most proud of in my time at KW, it's Julia. Like Julia being in that role and have being able to just push, be one of the few people that pushed a door open so that we could have a permanent position, one of the first national largest brokerages to have that as a dedicated position. Like for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And even if I only do it for a year, only if I do it for two years, then you push the ceiling and now somebody else can like see that they could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's hard, right? Like that can be feel really lonely. I think you have to be really intentional about the relationships. Uh, I think we're. I'm, I feel very grateful to be in a company where, like, we welcome those conversations and 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 they invite you. Like, but you also have to be a little bit okay that sometimes what's this quote, quote? Like, you might have a folding chair at the table. You might have to bring your own chair all the time. All the time. <laughs> I'm always like, Julie, why are you that? You should be in this meeting with me. Like, why are you not down here in this room? But you have to do that all and be time. okay. Like, I am all over. I don't have no invitation. I'd be everywhere with no invitation. <laughs> nope. Like I'm here. What's up? What are y'all doing? Oh, well, um, I'll catch you Uber. Like, oh, I heard y'all had a car service. That's okay. I'll catch you Uber. I'll be right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The meeting, Julia, the meeting crasher. I am. I am. That's a fact. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's true. But I think that we, you just, you have to leave it better than you found it. And so I think um, the the challenge of sometimes being the only person. But even in Gary's group, right? Like I looked up and I was like, I'm committed. I would send my notes in BRM because I was like, I will not be the only person in here for long. And I think that um, 
yeah, like I just I think that that is uh, I, I, we I think all of us need to take that orientation that like how do we push I want people to go pat like how do I push the net most people like even like beyond because then we everybody gets better we all get better yeah but Kimber do you feel like sometimes you become because um, at least for me you were like anytime there's an issue about black or involved, like everybody calls. Everybody's like, well, call Kimber, of course. Like, and Kimber, and now Kimber's getting a thousand calls from a thousand people because she is the black woman that you go to for black things. Um, That's why I'm that, like, now we got Julia. I'm like, did y'all talk to Julia already? <laughs> do you feel like, is that, is, how, I mean, how does that work for you? And do you welcome that? Or, you know, or is that a, is that a challenge for you? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, it's all perspective, right? Like sometimes I think you can look at it as like a, uh, as a challenge. Right. But I also felt like, wow, there, there were a lot of conversations that people either were, didn't even know they needed to have, but they, at least there was a space where they felt like they could openly have the conversation. And then you're trying to educate, like a lot of this, I think happens one person, one conversation at a time. So it, it, it's heavy. That's for sure. Right. And um, if it means that it's less heavy for somebody else, or you've opened somebody's eyes, or you've changed a perspective. I mean, like, it, it's, yeah, so it, it's not without its challenges, but I think um, I, to who much is given, much is expected, right? So I just, I feel like I just blessed beyond measure in my life. And so I do feel like the fact that, you know, I have an opportunity to have those conversations or to be in those yeah. rooms. Um, I know how many women, you know, black women, especially before me, that didn't get that opportunity. Right. So I feel like, you, I, yeah, so right, like, I, I do feel like, I mean, Emmerich, Emmerich is my champion. Every time I feel like I'm having a rough moment, Emmerich is always, what do you tell me, Emmerich? People would be, be, would be wake up grateful for the problem that you're struggling with today. We, yeah, um, we have issues other people would love to have. Just We have issues other people would love to have. So it, it's hard, right? It doesn't mean in the moment that I don't need to text Julia at my frustration. But I also, like, when I, when I look up, the bigger perspective is amazing. Yeah, I love that. And as we, as we get ready to wrap up and and and... and move on from this, Kimber, I think there's a, there's a couple powerful things that I took from this, from this call, using your real estate business as a cat, as the cash flow catalyst to be able to then go reinvest, to continue to make this money, deploy the money to make it continually work. Keep it simple and do the, 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 it's easy to look up now and see all the success and all the things that we have, but it all started with, I mean, for me personally, it started with the HUD home that I bought for $500 down and got Obama's tax credit of like eight grand or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. That was awesome. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. small. And then just continuing continuing to learn and grow and ask ask for help and ask those continued questions in these areas for your CPAs, your financial advisors, your wealth coach, your attorneys, having a trust and estate plan, tax strategists, banking relationships, bookkeepers. And I think that the big piece there, we, we all don't start with all of those and don't go build all those relationships tomorrow, but start with one thing and then go get one and then lean on that one to go get two others. And then next thing you know, you look up and you have every little piece in place of your wealth squad to be able to go grow that, that, that be on that wealth journey. Yep. And I would just add your network is your net worth. So yeah. look around you. If you have people who are encouraging you to buy the bag and not the house, you need to also get a different room, right? Like you need to expand your room or change the conversation in that room. But the people that you are spending your time with, that you are having conversations with, that you feel comfortable to share your net worth with beyond like your professional team is your personal team. And you want the people who are going to celebrate you when you add that extra rental property, even when that means that you had to like, 
take stay local for a vacation instead of the big international. Like you, you need that because it, there's in the moments our our desire will be to go get the thing, to go get the immediate gratification. And wealth is a long game. It's gradually yeah. then suddenly. It is exponential. It is compounded over time, um, and it means you you gotta like it's worth the wait. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Julia Emmerich, last last words as we wrap up. Nothing. I just want to thank each and every single one of you for being part of my wealth squad. Uh, and, and helping me on my wealth journey. And for me, it's uh, it's always a pleasure, Kimber. Always a pleasure. And thank always. you for being Thanks here so with much. us. Let's just keep chopping wood and keep working on the wealth squad. Yes, I appreciate what you guys are doing. This is a powerful conversation, and, and we have the right people leading this um, this podcast. So thank you. Thank you, Kimber. And please make sure to follow Kimber and her podcast on Empire. Wait! Oh my gosh! Stop everything. We didn't talk about Kimber's podcast at all. Kimber, can you just tell us you are the newest member of Empire Builders podcast, right? Absolutely, Empire Builders, which is just a conversation with you know women building big lives and and really big businesses. And so it's a great podcast. Drops every Monday, so check it out. You can find it, Kimber uh, Kimber Minkiti, anywhere on Instagram social. And then, yeah, check out the podcast, Empire Builders. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kimber. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, guys. Have a great rest of the day. See you all next time. Follow the Color of Money podcast today and get notified when new episodes are released weekly. Be part of this transformative listening experience.